Welcome to this APTA podcast. I'm Troy Elliott. Thanks for joining us for this special podcast on the proposed 2022 Medicare Physician Fee Schedule. As you probably know by now, it's finally here. CMS has released its proposed rule on payment for next year and for physical therapy and a host of other professions. It's not a pretty picture. We're going to need to push back against several of these proposals and on multiple fronts. But to do that, we need to first have a basic understanding of what's happening and the ways we can advocate for help or change. In this podcast, we're going to take a fairly high level overview of three major components of the fee schedule with two people who can really help us understand what's going on. Kate Gilliard, APTA Senior Policy and Regulatory Affairs Specialist and Justin Elliott, APTA Vice President of Government Affairs. Welcome and thanks for being here today. Thanks for having us, Troy. Well, let's get started. Kate, um, in the articles we've published leading up to and right after the release of the proposed fee schedule, we say that we weren't expecting any big surprises in the proposed fee schedule. And there really weren't many big surprises. But uh, why didn't we think there would be any surprises in the first place? Yeah, that's right. So we knew from the outset before the rule was even released that the Biden administration had not finished staffing up all of the executive agencies. For instance, uh, the CMS administrator, Chiquita Brooks-Lasher, hadn't even been confirmed into her role um, at the time the rule was written. Um, So we knew that the new administration just did not have enough time to, uh, you know, get into the office and start implementing policy changes. Add to this the fact that the healthcare system is still recovering from the pandemic, and you get a situation where policymakers really just don't want to rock the boat. But unfortunately, we need changes, so it's bad timing. Yeah, I I was just going to say it's just because we had this good idea of what to expect doesn't make the actual provisions any any less problematic. So let's get right to it. And why don't we start with the proposed payment cuts? Um, CMS has been intent on executing this plan since last year when physical therapy faced a potential 9% cut in 2021, which was knocked down to about a 3.3% cut late in 2020 thanks to congressional intervention. Uh, How do these cuts work exactly and and, and what's different this year? So when that 9% cut was reduced to the 3.3%, Part of what attributed to that reduction was basically Congress wrote a check to CMS for $3 billion and instructed CMS to boost the conversion factor in order to offset the cuts. But that money was a one-year deal. So at the end of this year, 2021, the money runs out and the conversion factor drops back down to what would have happened if Congress had never intervened. So What we're seeing in the proposed rule for next year is the conversion factor dropping 3.75% to $33.58. Now, for those of you who need a refresher, every CPT code has an RVU value. And that RVU value is multiplied by the conversion factor to get the dollar amount that a provider actually gets reimbursed for a service. Um, so there's additional factors that go into the payment, like, you know, geographic adjustments or multiple procedure payment reduction, et cetera. But the basic idea is that when the conversion factor goes down, payment for everybody, not just physical therapy, goes down too. Yeah. And um, what 
maybe I'll get Justin to, to, to jump in here. What, what happened last year that we were able to get this, um, to get this 9% cut knocked back to about 3.3? Well, yeah, Troy, you know, you know, as Kate mentioned, it wasn't just physical therapists who were on the chopping block, but over three dozen providers who are facing pretty steep cuts as a result of CMS implementing what's known as the ENM code policy, which is boosting uh, pay to primary care physicians. But to boost that pay, they have to make cuts to other providers uh, to subsidize it. And so, you know, there was a pretty uh, large outcry uh, last year uh, when the proposed rule was, was released last year uh, for 2021. And so uh, given the depth and breadth of cuts to all, numer all to the numerous providers, um, there was a pretty large advocacy came advocacy campaign, and not only at CMS, uh, but also at Congress uh, to intervene. And APTA members answered the call. We had thousands of letters uh, from APTA members that were directed to CMS pointing out the flaws of their proposal. And I think it was something like over 120,000 uh, letters and, uh, from APTA members uh, to members of Congress. So APTA uh, it, it working by itself uh, with our members to uh, advocate with Congress, but also in conjunction and coordination with other impacted providers in a unified coalition. Everyone from the radiologists and pathologists to surgeons uh, to OTs and SLPs uh, working together um, in, to advocate uh, for Congress uh, to intervene. And that was key. Um, for Congress to intervene at the end of 2020 to write that check to CMS uh, to provide uh, that, that relief. And I think that's going to be key uh, moving forward in this year uh, as well, because, you know, as Kate pointed out, this conversion factor is going down by 3.75%. That's just the decrease in the conversion factor. And that has, that impacts all providers who are paid uh, on the fee schedule. And what's uh, even worse is that we can have increases to PT codes that are used you know, primarily by physical therapists, we can see increases to our codes, but because of that reduction in the conversion factor, we're gonna see an overall cut. And that is what's so distressing. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, Kate, I'm gonna turn back to you and just what uh, Justin just mentioned there. There are some code values that are changing, right? Some are, are gonna increase and I think some are gonna decrease. And uh, does that ease the pain to any degree? Yeah, you know, it really depends on what you're billing. Um, you know, just like CMS adjusts the conversion factor every year, they also adjust the RVUs that are multiplied against it. So some of our codes like evals and re-evals are seeing an increase in value that pretty much cancels out the um, pain of the conversion factor reduction. Evals and re-evals will probably get reimbursed right about the same amount as they are getting reimbursed right now. And remember this year they're getting paid a lot more than they were last year because they got a huge bump. Um, but unfortunately, adjustments to RVUs do cut both ways. And we are going to see, um, you know, some codes get their uh, reduction in reimbursement amplified. So for instance, um, e-STEM, orthotic and prosthetic management uh, codes could see between a six to 8% reduction in payment. Um, so the total impact on reimbursement is really going to depend on what you do and the patients you treat. Um, but the estimated impact across the entire profession, when you average it all out, is probably going to be about a 3.5% reduction. 
But again, remember, this is in line with the conversion factor that is impacting all professions from radiologists, surgeons, and yes, even our speech and occupational therapy colleagues, um, we are getting cuts across the board. Yeah. Um, and Justin, I'm going to return to you, and it's probably going to end up being a little bit of a refrain as we go through the rest of these issues. <laughs> but uh, what are we going to do about this? Well, you know, it's going to require a two-pronged uh, advocacy uh, attack. Um, we will, of course, once again, uh, be leading a campaign aimed at CMS, um, highlighting uh, the multiple concerns uh, with what is going on in the proposed rule. Uh, you know, APTA, we've already, we weren't waiting around for this fee schedule to drop to begin our advocacy. We've actually been pretty busy uh, meeting with CMS officials, meeting with the office of our new uh, HHS secretary, uh, having meetings uh, on the Hill and with committee staff. Um, and so what um, we will be launching uh, the, our uh, comment letter campaign at CMS and uh, making sure that our, our colleagues and, and champions on the Hill are aware of what we are asking uh, and demanding that CMS uh, consider um, and take into consideration before they publish the final rule uh, later in uh, November. And so there'll be one track aimed at CMS. Uh, and then the second track, of course, is we can't trust or, or depend on CMS to make changes uh, in the final rule that will provide any relief. And so we need Congress to once again intervene. And once again, we need Congress to provide um, some financial assistance and financial support uh, to the fee schedule. Because again, because of what's known as budget neutrality, because of this, uh, the way the fee schedule is set up where you have winners and losers. And again, because um, in this year's proposed rule, we're seeing once again, another round of deep uh, cuts to a whole range of providers. Uh, it's not acceptable. It's just not acceptable. And Congress needs to, at a time when we are still recovering from the pandemic, and for therapy who are, you know, we are on the front lines of the opioid epidemic and recovery uh, for patients who have long haul COVID. Why in the world would you do a second round of cuts uh, to the provider group that is on the front line of two of our biggest uh, public health emergencies? And so we are gonna be working uh, with our colleagues in our coalition that we have. Uh, that again includes our therapy partners like OT speech, audiology, um, our surgery, uh, surgeons, uh, very surgi surgical groups and uh, physician groups uh, to have a unified voice on a bill that we will work to have implemented by the end of this year that will provide uh, some sort of financial infusion uh, into the fee schedule uh, that will prevent these cuts uh, uh, from happening. It is important for us, again, to have a unified voice um, amongst all different healthcare providers because now is not the time uh, for competing, uh, comp uh, uh, competing proposals. Uh, we need to come together uh, as a healthcare community uh, and back one uh, with a unified voice, one proposal uh, for Congress uh, to uh, consider and implement uh, before the end of the year. And so uh, we will be, uh, we'll have a lot on our plate in terms of advocacy named not only at CMS, uh, but also with you know, our House and Senate, uh, again, uh, with not only with lobbying and uh, letter writing, but social media campaigns, PR campaigns, having folks meet with their members of Congress via Zoom or when they're in, di in district. And so we're going to be rolling all of that out in the days and weeks ahead. So stay tuned. Great. And, you know, it's great that we've already had, you know, we had a success story from last year. This, this, is, yeah. this is the kind of stuff that is that has worked for us when we've worked together and everybody's, everybody's pitched in. And um, I would, uh, we, we certainly have the potential to, to do that again. Uh, I, I wanna turn to the 
PTA differential next. Uh, CMS plan, uh, they plan to pay at 85% uh, for services delivered in whole or in part by a PTA or OTA. Now, APTA has been advocating against this, this whole idea since it was first announced, but CMS says essentially that its hands are tied. Kate, why are they saying that? And is it even true? Yeah, un unfortunately it is true. CMS cannot stop the differential altogether. And that's because it comes from a law passed by Congress and CMS has to follow the law. But where we take issue with CMS is that they're just not doing enough to make sure that the implementation is as smooth as possible and does as little damage as possible. So for instance, we think CMS is kind of rushing the whole deal. Um, they could delay this for another year and give the industry more time to recover from the pandemic, more time to understand the rules, more time to understand the modifier, um, but they're, they're rushing. Um, similarly, we think CMS should uh, make some carve-out exemptions for rural and underserved areas that disproportionately rely on PTAs. Um, these areas are traditionally uh, underserved areas. They struggle to, you know, patients struggle to find a provider in the first place. And why would you want to put more pain on them on top of the cuts we saw last year and this year? You are disproportionately harming rural areas, particularly because they rely so heavily on PTAs. And then lastly, another proposal we've, we've put forward to CMS that they have yet to adopt is that we think it's high time for PTAs in private practice to be subject to general supervision like PTAs in every other setting under Medicare. Um, you know, while updating the supervision requirement is not gonna change payment, this would give PTAs quite a bit more flexibility and make them more valuable employees um, in the long run and, and frankly, just make it easier for them to do their job. Yeah, well, let's, I, I know that we've been um, opposed to the, obviously opposed to the whole idea. Um, and yes, there are limits, but I know that we've also been doing a lot of work around some of the, you know, the real nitty gritty details about when and how the modifiers used that indicate services were provided by a PTA. And I know you mentioned that we've been, we've been pressing them around PTA supervision. Uh, it looks like we may have made some inroads in those areas. Can you tell us anything about that? Yeah, we definitely did get some wins, especially when you consider the application of the CQ modifier. So this is the modifier that indicates a PTA um, performed at least 10% of the service and thereby the modifier would be applied. But we kind of took issue with CMS's uh, guidance on when the modifier should and should not be applied. For example, we believe that when a PT delivers enough minutes of service to bill a unit alone, subsequent minutes provided by the PTA should not result in application of the modifier. Otherwise, you are disincentivizing additional care. Clinics would get paid less to deliver more care in situations where a PT does enough to bill the, the unit alone, but a PTA maybe steps in and delivers an additional three minutes. We've been fighting with CMS on this one for a while. And I am happy to say that in the proposed rule, they took our position and have said that in situations where a PT delivers enough minutes to bill a unit alone, you can disregard subsequent minutes from a PTA. Similarly, they took our position in situations where there are two remaining units, 
and a PT and a PTA each delivered enough minutes to deliver one unit. While previously CMS said that the modifier would be applied to both units, um, they have now acquiesced and taken our position that each uh, unit, uh, well, one unit can be billed by the PT without the modifier and one unit can be billed with the modifier as attributable to the PTA. Um, regarding supervision, like I said earlier, we would um, we have been strongly advocating to CMS to change the supervision requirement from direct supervision to general supervision for PTAs in private practice. Like I said, it's general supervision everywhere else. Why is it different in private practice? Now, CMS has not even stated they're considering this, but they did state they are considering making permanent their current temporary policy for direct supervision through virtual presence. So what this is, is a, a temporary policy during the pandemic whereby direct supervision can be achieved through audiovisual telecommunication. Think of it kind of like telehealth supervision. Um, if you can get online and, and uh, have an audiovisual discussion with your supervisor, you're under direct supervision. So this is only a smidge more restrictive than general supervision, which only requires audio communication. Now we'd rather have general supervision than direct supervision through uh, virtual presence, but it's better than nothing. Well, coming around to you, Justin, once more, yep. um, what can we do to address this facet? Well, you know, this, is a, this has been an interesting battle uh, with CMS because in some ways what they say is, is true that because of the Bipartisan Budget Act of 2018, they are required to implement this differential, uh, but their claims that they have limited statutory authority, I think, are, are not uh, accurate. Um, you know, we have, for the last several years, been advocating uh, that they need to delay, they need to mitigate, they need to exempt on this differential, that they need to delay it, implementation, they need to provide carve-outs, for rural and underserved uh, uh, areas. And they also need to do things like changing the supervision requirements. Now we have conducted an independent legal analysis which shows that there is precedent for CMS to do this, uh, that they have done something similar with other issues and other rules in, in years in the years gone by. And so that is why we've been advocating for this for, uh, for the last several years with uh, CMS. Um, and while it would appear that at least in the proposed 2020 rule, they are, hedging a little bit on the, uh, uh, you know, providing a little bit of flexibility on the PTA supervision issue, it's still not good enough. And so, um, you know, again, we are going to be looking at a two-track, uh, two-pronged strategy on the uh, PTA and OTA differential, because this differential also impacts OTAs. And again, we'll be uh, continuing to advocate um, that CMS can implement this through regulatory changes, through uh, the final fee schedule rule that will come out in November of 2022. They absolutely have the authority to provide general supervision uh, for outpatient uh, practice. They do have that. That is, there's nothing in statute that says uh, that they have to do that. That is in the regulation. So they can make that change. But again, uh, we can't wait around for CMS uh, to do this via regulation. And so that's why the second track uh, of this is a legislative component. Now we saw uh, earlier this spring um, a, a, a letter signed by uh, bipartisan members of the U.S. House uh, to CMS, to the new uh, HHS Secretary Becerra, saying that CMS needs to make changes, including a carve out for rural uh, areas uh, to the differential, and that CMS needs to make this change in supervision. Uh, we're working with our congressional uh, allies and champions 
to look at what potential legislative options could be implemented before the end of this year, assuming that CMS is going to keep on going down this track and they're not going to, you know, we always prepare for the worst and, and plan for the best, um, that we will need to do legislation that will do exactly what we've been asking or demanding that CM, CMS do over the last several years. And that would be a congressional intervention that does provide for a one-year delay, that does provide carve-outs for rural and underserved areas, and, a, and, and third and finally, a mandate that CMS must change the supervision uh, from di the current direct requirement uh, to general, uh, requ general supervision uh, requirement. And so, again, this is something that we're working along with our friends uh, at AOTA and other therapy uh, provider groups uh, to uh, highlight and to advocate for. So along with everything we're doing on fee schedule and the proposed cuts, we also are gonna have a very robust campaign aimed at CMS uh, and Congress uh, aimed at the PTA and OTA uh, differential. And, but we're not done yet. Um, nope. Let's, <laughs> let's turn to telehealth. Uh, again, I mean, we weren't surprised by what we, what we got, what the CMS take, which was basically that it wouldn't be including any of the professions who are granted waivers uh, for telehealth during the public health emergency. Um, it wouldn't allow them to continue with telehealth past the emergency. So what's going on here, Kate? So that's right. But first you need to remember that in order to do telehealth under Medicare, you really need two things. First, you have to be a telehealth authorized provider, and then you have to be billing telehealth authorized codes. So CMS does not have the power to make us permanently authorized providers. So as soon as the public health emergency ends, PTs are no longer authorized to provide telehealth. What we wanted CMS to do was to go ahead and take the first step and add our codes to the permanent list so that we can work on Congress to get the change to make us permanent providers. And once that's done, everything's in line, we can go ahead with telehealth. But unfortunately, CMS said, because we're not permanently authorized providers, adding our codes to the list would be confusing and would make people think they were authorized to provide telehealth. So they declined to add our codes to the permanent list of authorized telehealth codes. Yeah. and and. They, the codes are sticking around until 2023, right? But I mean, PTs, all these, all these professions won't be able to actually use them once the public health emergency ends. And that's more for just keeping their books straight or whatever, making it easier administratively for them, right? That's right. So yeah. what CMS did say they were willing to do is extend the temporary authorization for codes until the end of 2023. So originally those codes would expire at the end of the year in which the public health emergency ends, which is kind of confusing and it's hard to predict. And a lot of folks who had complained that CMS just needed to implement a clear policy, let us know when telehealth ends. Mm -hmm. And that's for the entire list of temporary codes, which is more than just PT. So there are some codes on there that permanently authorized providers could use. And they want to know, when does telehealth end? CMS said, We'll keep the codes until the end of 2023. But again, because our provider status is temporary as of the end of the PHE, once the PHE ends, physical therapists cannot bill for telehealth for Medicare. Okay. So Justin, <laughs> what are we going to do about this one? Yeah, so it's a race against time. We need Congress. As Kate said, the, the statute, the Medicare statute has to be changed to uh, provide authorization 
uh, for therapy uh, providers. Because right now the, the legal uh, statutory authority is, is pretty limited. Again, physicians and just a small group of, of providers who are permanently authorized. And so it's, uh, it's almost like a race against time. We need to be permanently added as authorized providers before the end of the public health emergency, which again, I don't think at this point is going to end uh, anytime soon. I think there is a reasonable um, uh, estimation that uh, the administration will continue the public health emergency into 2022. As folks have seen, we are gaining to see increases in infection rates across the country. And so this uh, public health emergency, I don't think is gonna be declared over anytime soon. But that being said, we still need to have Congress authorize and add us as authorized providers. And that's one of the reasons that we are advocating in support of APTA's backed uh, legislation, HR uh, 2168. It's legislation that's been introduced in the House. Uh, it is uh, being uh, led by uh, Congresswoman Mickey Sherrill, a Democrat from New Jersey, Congressman McKinley, uh, Republican from West Virginia. We have something like 35, 36 bipartisan members who have joined on as co-sponsors so far, we anticipate a Senate companion to be introduced uh, in the very near uh, future. And again, this legislation would specifically and explicitly add PTOT speech and audiologists as permanent authorized providers of telehealth under Medicare. Now, there are, I should point out, a number of other telehealth bills uh, floating around in Congress. Actually, there's dozens of telehealth bills uh, floating around in, in Congress. But there are two bills that we are also watching, and we're not opposed to, we do support, uh, which is one is the Telehealth Modernization Act and what's known as the Connect 2.0 bill. Both of these bills um, are a little bit different. They, they basically, but in a nutshell, uh, give authority to HHS to add uh, providers as authorized providers, different ways in, in terms of timing and, and how they would do it. It doesn't explicitly or specifically add therapy providers, but at least with those two other bills, uh, the secretary of HHS would have more flexibility uh, than they do now. Uh, but right now, our focus, our primary focus uh, for APTA, AOTA, ASHA, um, is really the HR 2168, which would provide um, explicit uh, addition of, of therapy providers uh, under Medicare. But here's the thing uh, with the current situation uh, on the fee schedule. We have to look at both the short-term game and the long-term game, because we, can, we, we fought the cut last year and we're fighting the cut uh, uh, this year. But what this situation has highlighted is that the Medicare fee schedule is fundamentally broken. Uh, there are some serious issues in how it's structured, uh, some of the uh, current situations with budget neutrality. In addition, uh, we are trying to move to, what's, uh, to a value-based payment system. And for us, that means participation in MIPS and alternative payment models. But both of those systems are also broken. If you ask the average physical therapist who's participating in MIPS, they'll tell you it's overly burdensome, administratively difficult, and there is no bang for the buck. And that is not just unique to physical therapists. You talk to any of the healthcare providers who are in either MIPS or APMs, and it is not working the way it is supposed to be. So in addition to highlighting to Congress the need to fight in the short term these cuts, we need fundamental reforms and oversight on the bigger picture of where we're going with Medicare payment. Where are we going with the Medicare fee schedule? What are we truly doing to reform and make MIPS and APMs work uh, and be successful for those who participate in it. And so it's both a short-term ask in fighting the immediate cuts, but we're calling out, we're gonna be looking to call on Congress to look at ways to really reform and make the Medicare fee schedule work for the providers and the patients they serve.
Yeah, so we're, uh, it's going to be a pretty busy fall, sounds like, uh, in late <laughs> summer with all this uh, advocacy as things, as things ramp up. So I'm wondering, what, what, what do you recommend people do in the meantime? What, what can they do to get, to get ready for this time? Well, first, you know, obviously is to, if you haven't signed up yet for it yet, be sure to be a member of the APK Advocacy Network. This is the best way to stay informed through our advocacy alerts, through our info bulletins, newsletter that provides uh, the latest and greatest uh, as to what is going on uh, up on Capitol Hill. Because not only do we have everything with fee schedule and PTA differential and telehealth, we also have a number of other key issues that we're working on, things like locum tenens, the opioid crisis, Medicare opt-out. We have a ton of issues, post-acute care uh, issues. And so there's a lot, this is probably one of the busiest falls where we've, we've been going into in a long time. And so uh, staying uh, alert and up-to-date on everything uh, that we're doing is gonna be uh, a key. In addition, we'll, we're gonna be rolling out a series of podcasts, webinars, and other training resources on these issues and how folks can advocate in the weeks ahead. It is important to make sure that everyone is singing from the same songbook in terms of what our message is uh, to CMS uh, and to Congress. And we're also gonna make it easy for folks to advocate and engage. Uh, just as we did last year, uh, we provided easy to use template letters that folks will be able to send to CMS, both on the fee schedule cuts and the PTA differential. We're also gonna be uh, providing that on our uh, Legislative Action Center and Patient Ad Action Center Again, uh, 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 pre-filled template letters that folks, uh, all you have to do is enter in your zip code and makes it easy to send a letter to your members uh, of Congress on this. And stay tuned, we're gonna have other uh, opportunities to engage, uh, whether it's the APK Advocacy Day on the Hill that's gonna happen in September in conjunction with our centennial uh, celebration through other, and, uh, as well as other virtual uh, advocacy events that we'll be hosting uh, throughout uh, this year. And again, we're going to be doing this, uh, you know, be leading a, a very robust campaign uh, by APTA. We're also going to be working uh, with our uh, colleagues in the physician community and surgeons and other therapy groups uh, to make sure that we have a unified and very loud voice to CMS and to Congress. Um, and so stay tuned for that. And, and, and um, yeah, stay tuned is the key. And uh, yeah. we're doing lots on this end to help you keep up. In addition to uh, everything that Justin mentioned, we have a uh, we have a weekly email blast that goes out to all members that you can make sure and check out. It goes on, on Wednesdays. Uh, we also offer podcasts, these APTA live events, webinars, and lots of other resources to help you stay informed. And if you want to tune into all the activity going on in payment relative to physical therapy, including these and more advocacy efforts, uh, sign up for our Friday Focus monthly collection of payment-related articles and resources. It's delivered direct to your inbox on the fourth Friday of every month, and it's all free. Uh, just search for email preferences in the search bar at apta.org and sign up. It's, it's really easy to do. And I should add that uh, when these uh, template letters and all that come out, it is phenomenally easy to do. So yeah, don't, don't be daunted by all this. Um, so I'll wrap it up here with thanks, Kate and Justin, for helping us understand where things stand. Uh, and we know there's a lot of work ahead, but we also know that there's a lot of energy behind that work. Yeah, Troy, and I was going to say, you know, um, this is where membership matters. Uh, this is where being a part of the APTA family is so critical. Uh, last year, uh, we rallied in, in an unprecedented campaign uh, of PTs, PTAs, students, as well as patients, friends, and colleagues to make our voice heard. Our voice was heard. 
Um, and we heard on more than one occasion, uh, both from CMS officials and from members of Congress, yeah, we, we, we have heard the message from the, from the PT uh, community. And that's because of the advocacy uh, that our members uh, do and continue to do to fight for the profession, to fight for the patients we serve. And so once again, we're gonna saddle up and we're gonna bring our A game and we're gonna fight the cut and we're gonna fight the differential. That's right. So stay tuned, there's gonna be lots ahead. Uh, as a final reminder, be sure to visit APTA.org where you'll find uh, more resources on all of the topics we talked about today. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. It's at uh, APTA tweets. APTA podcasts like this one are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts. I'm Troy Elliott, and thanks for listening.